0: This is Gene Lance on the Worker's Beat Extra. I've been doing publicity work for unions and other kinds of progressive causes for well over 50 years. So it looks like I would have learned something about it by now. And I want to give you some tips on how to get commercial media for your union or progressive cause. But first, I'd really like to talk about whether you should even do it or not. Because a lot of unions are not really convinced that they want to use the commercial media. See, unions have their own ways of trying to reach their members. They have a newspaper or maybe a private group on Facebook or their own website that has a password or something like that, and they do use that and a union can say virtually anything they want to as long as they're only talking to their own members. But the law, when it comes to speaking to the public, is a lot more difficult for unions than you might think. American labor law protects a union's right to communicate fully and openly with their members, but only to their members. Unions have to be really careful when they're talking to any audience that may include people who are not their members. And that's probably the reason why some unions don't talk to them at all. And for unions, there are good reasons to avoid the commercial media. The laws are stacked against us. The news services virtually all belong to giant corporations who are, after all, our worst enemies. Try, for example, try Googling who owns American news? The first answer you get is 15 billionaires. 15 billionaires own the American news. And if you look further, you look for some more specific statistics, you'll find that there are six corporations that control 90% of the media in the United States. The 90% of the media are not the words I want to emphasize. The word I want to emphasize is corporations. They are not our friends. Here's what it says on westpath.com. Quote, Just 37 years ago, there were 50 companies in charge of most American media. Now, 90% of the media in the United States is controlled by just six big giant corporations. AT&T, CBS, Comcast, Disney... News Corp and Viacom, those are the companies that control 90% of your media. Our news is most shamefully dishonest in certain areas and those areas primarily are economics and foreign policy. When it comes to foreign policy and economics, virtually all of the news persons sing from the exact same hymn book, and that hymn book is written by corporations. They don't get any input from working families. Now, I would like to exclude so-called public media, such as NPR or the British BBC, but it would be a mistake. Compare any news item on the economy or on foreign policy over the full spectrum of what comes out of commercial news and the so-called public media, and you will see that they are practically identical. Even the wording is practically identical. There are exceptions like the all-volunteer community radio station KNON in Dallas, where I work for free, where I'm a volunteer. I'm one of a hundred volunteers at KNON. But our contribution on the airwaves is so small to be almost negligible. The Workers' Beat program that I work on for free with co-host Bonnie Mathias, and I've proudly hosted that for decades, but it is the only worker-friendly hour-long program on the Texas airwaves, and only one of three or four in the entire southern part of the United States. Now, when labor takes actions big enough to affect the economy, we sometimes get news coverage, but the boss's so-called other side version generally gets more, and theirs is generally much more favorable. I learned a few things during the Vietnam War, and I'm going to pass them on. In the 1960s, there were tiny little newspapers that sprang up all over the United States because they wanted to tell the truth about the Vietnam War. Because the commercial media was doing nothing but singing the praises of the American military and talking about what great, democratic, wonderful things that the Americans were doing in Southeast Asia. So these tiny little newspapers, there were three of them that I know of in Houston where I was living. Space City News was the first one, then Abraxas and Mockingbird came along later. I worked on Mockingbird. There were a lot of cities that were publishing actual accounts of Vietnam and they got it from reading soldiers letters. They got it from reading the letters home from soldiers that were in Vietnam. And during all that time you might think about the pacifists. They were carrying out one dramatic anti-war activity after another one, but they could not get favorable news coverage anywhere except in our underground press. For example, you take Joan Baez. She was arrested almost daily for trying to stop young men from going overseas. Her commercial news coverage didn't exist except for the lousy person named Al Cap who was one of the most popular cartoonists in America, and he introduced a character named Joni Phony in his popular comic strip. The truth, years later, was brought out by giant demonstrations in the underground press, and eventually we eroded our way into the main media. And from that point on, the war in Vietnam was doomed. And thank goodness it did finally stop and they stopped the draft. Today, Americans prefer to fight their wars with machines and proxy soldiers. Journalists are vetted and embedded by the military. In other words, the military actually supervises the journalists, which journalists are going to be able to cover anything. Now, does my condemnation mean that all commercial news should be re- disregarded as untruthful? Certainly not. Corporate bosses insist that their commercial journalists be scrupulously honest on all of the smaller issues. The better to fool us on the big ones. It's possible to get good news coverage. The more public your event is, the more people that are involved in it, and the better job that you do gives you more of a chance to get news coverage. Even though giant corporations monopolize virtually everything we read, hear, or see, democracy still gives us opportunities. The American people believe in democracy and they believe that they have it. They believe that their news sources are democratic. The print trades that once ran the great newspapers have been broken for years now, but some journalists are now joining writers unions, especially one called the Writers Guild, formed by the Communication Workers of America. Here in Dallas, where I live now, the journalists at the Dallas Morning News are members of the the Writers Guild, Communication Workers of America. The Internet and social media, of course, may be spreading innumerable lies, but truth also finds a platform on the Internet and in social media. And the commercial news sources are kind of reined in by the fact that the truth is out there on the internet. So in other words, it makes them a little bit more careful to tell lies if the truth is already out. More than anything else, I would say that handy mobile phones give Americans access to friends and sources that they can trust. The larger and more public our actions are, the more likely they are to get honest coverage. The better that our news conferences and news releases are organized, the more likely they are to be covered accurately. The more adroitly we use the quasi-democratic platforms like talk shows and letters to editors, the more likely we are to get our message out. It's good to understand the corporate media with all of its anti-labor proclivities, but it is even more important to take advantage of every possible avenue to reach working families with the truth. We can do that, and more and more we are doing it. Here's a letter to the editor that I recently got published, and I'm proud of this. I get a letter published in the Dallas Morning News about once every month or month and a half maybe. About one out of every three that I write gets published, and here's one that did get published. And I think it's, it got published because it was favorable to some coverage that they had done earlier. They had a journalist named Alexandra Scoris who wrote a pretty good article about how hard it is for some unions to get to go on strike. She was talking about the railway unions. And I wrote my letter to the editor based on hers, and I said, quote, Heaps of thanks to your reporter, Alexandra Scoris for her insightful probe into why it is so very, very hard for unions that are organized under the Railway Labor Act of 1926 to go on strike. I hope she will add a couple of more details and a very important conclusion. I'm still quoting. One detail is that it isn't just difficult for railway and airline workers to go on strike. American anti-labor laws also make it very, very difficult for them to win. American anti-labor laws also make it very hard to win organizing drives or strikes for the rest of the unions that are organized under the National Labor Relations Act. The conclusion that must be reached is that American labor law is unfair to working families and needs to be changed. I signed it, Gene Lance, president of the Dallas Central Labor Council, but they just put Gene Lance on it and, uh, and they ran it. And I was delighted. It was a good letter. It was short. It only made one point and it was favorable to something that they had already published. I think those are three things that you can learn about writing letters to the editor. But the main thing you need to learn about writing letters to the editor is just to do it. I put this on the internet some time ago. Please write a letter to the editor. Anybody, anytime, can do it. If it gets published and read on the news, it will reach more people, far more people, than you could reach with months of calling people or door canvassing. The trick is getting it published. And the main tactic is to write a lot. Just don't be afraid to jot your idea down and find out how, how they accept letters to the editor and do it. The next main tactic is to not write very long. Write short. So write a lot, which means write often, and write little, which means write short letters. Unless you're relatively famous or noteworthy in some way, your long letters probably won't get accepted. The reason is because space is money on a newspaper. They pick the short ones, and they especially like really short ones because that helps them with their layout department. Letters that ramble, even well-written letters, that try to make more than one point, are usually doomed to the trash can. Stick to one point and try to keep it short and punchy. Also, as I said before, try to make it relevant to something that they have already published. You can disagree with them, and sometimes they publish stuff that disagrees with them, but you're more likely to get published if you send something that agrees with them. It needs to be timely. That's my little bit on letters to the editor. Op-eds are another way to try to get your message out. It's much harder to get them published. They're like 750 to 1,000 words. You see them all the time. They're in almost every Sunday newspaper. But if you think about it, they're nearly always written by somebody who's in favor of the Corporation America. They're nearly always written by somebody in favor of the big corporations. It's pretty hard for us to get an op-ed printed, although I have seen it done. Make it your business to reach out through the commercial media. You might be able to reach a few hundred people with your website or your Facebook page, but you can literally reach millions through the corporate media. This is Gene Lance on the Worker's Beat Extra.